Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to episode 19 of the Husky International series and a long interview with free skier Sam Smoothie from Lake Wanaka in New Zealand. I met Sam at the opening of a new The North Face brand store right here in Stockholm and after a morning workout with a big group of people from the store we sat down at the restaurant of Sam's hotel for the interview. My name is Magnus Urmestad and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Find more information about this episode and previous episodes at huskypodcast.com. Husky is recorded in cooperation with Lund Hogs. First time in Stockholm, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, first time. But you arrived, you arrived yesterday. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Came over uh, yesterday afternoon. So mm-hmm. first impressions. Ah, oh, had like the best. Best meal of my life, possibly last oh, night. Oh, really? Yeah. At this hotel? No, no, oh, no went you went Adam up with uh, Erika and. Uh, yeah, yeah, with mm-hmm. the Piagos who are mm-hmm. lovely. And yeah, was, we had like reindeer, we had oh, really? oysters, we had uh, beef carpaccio, no, like tata. Like, it was phenomenal. It's just basic Swedish meal. It's like, yeah. it's not nothing special for us, like oh, an everyday man. course. No, it no. was. It was so good. <laughs> So, and like, I've been eating good on this trip, but that was the best one so far. Um, when you're not, when you are not out traveling, where is where is home? You would say. Cheers, bro. Home for me is like um, Wanaka, Wanaka, New Zealand. I've got a house there now, and it's where my family and lots of my friends are. But I kind of have like a second home in, in Verbier in the Alps. So for long, for for how long have you been? going to the Alps? I've been going to the Alps since like 10 years now I believe it is so about that so I I love the European style of uh, skiing and the the passion they have for it and just the mountains are incredible. Uh, Is that Lake Wanaka? Yeah. Hmm? We're kind of of, because that's the uh, the place where you grew up Yeah. and you reside now you have a a house of your own. Yeah Um, I went to school like half an hour down the valley we, we had a house in Wanaka, um, it was like a holiday home, like a little batch, that's what you call it in New Zealand, and um, now the whole family lives there permanently, and, and I get six months, about six months a year there, and then the other six months I'm on the road. Um, growing, growing up in Lake Wanaka, what, what, kind of, what kind of childhood did you have? Oh, it was an amazing childhood. My, my parents are big, like, mountain people, 
like adventure people so like every weekend we were off doing something fun generally and we had kayaks you know in summer we'll be kayaking up the lake and camping or hiking uh, winter was all about skiing like every day we could outside of having to go to school we were at, we were up the hill skiing and uh, just a lot of freedom and a lot of um a lot of activity and adventure and yeah, it was an incredible childhood. You never got into kind of a phase where you uh, wanted to rebel towards all that and like, I'm moving to a big city, I'm going to become an <laughs> accountant. <laughs> accountant? <laughs> Nobody ever wants to be an accountant, it's not any good at anything else. <laughs> um, not, I, ha I mean, I had like, you know, t typical teenage rebelling kind of nonsense, but... Um, It wasn't really against like the activities. It was just just typical wanting more freedom kind of things and to make my own decisions. But uh, I've always loved skiing and, and getting out on adventures. So that's never changed. You've always felt at home in nature. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really a um, city person. I like I like the quiet and you know a few good friends and yeah, just pottering Village about life. in the out outdoors. Yeah. Yeah, although I guess, you know, I get, I get tired of small towns as well, but um, I get to travel so much yeah. that it kind of counteracts it pretty well. <clears throat> uh, about your parents, because your father, he was kind of a, well, he, he was, like, back in the day, he was uh, kind of an alpinist, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. But like, he was tra really traveling the world and, and yeah. climbing. So. Yeah, both of my parents um, loved climbing mountains and often together and... They would, uh, I mean, their dad went to South America three times. I think mum went there once. Um, so that was always a part of, like, being young was, like, they wanted to do the activities and and uh, to climb mountains. And they weren't very, like, aggressive, but they just loved being, being out there and, you know, working their way up and down a mountain, you know. Where did that come from? I mean, looking at their childhood, I mean, they, because they grew up in New Zealand. Or yeah, they, and then they didn't have, they weren't born with parents like me. They, they sort of found it themselves. And I think it was um, it an era in New Zealand when it was like becoming more popular, uh, that whole mountain climbing side of things. And um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, for them, I think it was just a personal choice, isn't it? That that's what they wanted to do, and, and for them it was probably more of a, a rebellion thing, going away from the, the standard Avoiding consumerist the life, and you know they had like okay job, but I mean they avoided the man, they kind of were the man. Like my dad was a worked at the worked at a bank, so he had like a very conformist kind of job, but then every weekend he could he was off climbing mountains and and having fun, so. I think like a bit of both worlds. Um, because I mean, we have—I think in Sweden we have this vision of, of New Zealand as this land of adventure, like literally, like wilderness yeah. and adventure and mountains and so on. I guess that's really becomes like literally a part of your DNA growing up, especially if you grew up in a in a smaller village by yeah. a, the foot of a mountain. Yeah, I think like I think New Zealanders <laughs> like to think of themselves as very like outdoorsy. Um, salt of the earth kind of types and, and I think like to some extent that's true but to you know we still have like the city people and 
you know, the, the guys that wouldn't know how to skin a rabbit if you showed them. <laughs> but, um, like, I think as a whole, like, New Zealand's maybe... I think just because we have so few people, uh, that getting out and into nature is, is really easy. Like, even Auckland, like, our biggest and our only real city, has, like, beautiful beaches, you know, amazing rugged areas like within like an hour so it's like it's a big city but you can still get out and uh, explore uh, but back home when you're back home like what kind of like outdoor activities do you partake in I mean do you go hunting as well fishing and do all kinds of stuff um, yeah like my sort of like main um, objective when I'm home is to try and surf as much as I can of course um, yeah. I'm big into surfing now but uh, really love rock climbing, mountain biking, and, and those are like five minutes from my house. So it's like, Wanaka's like so cool that um, you can you can just do so many different activities in one day. Like on the way to the ski field, you pass by where you go rock climbing. So you can just, you always have your climbing gear in the car and if the skiing's no good, you go rock climbing. And then you get home, you're like, mountain biking trails are like two minutes away. So you're in the forest for a quick couple of hours and then you can even go to like a there's like a man-made river wave now so you can like surf a stationary wave um but i, I did just get my hunting license well my gun license prior to leaving so um yeah the concept of going and foraging for my own food and meat is um is a kind of new thing to me but my dad was always into it so hopefully he's going to take me and make sure i don't stuff it up <laughs> Hopefully shoot a deer and not myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, skiing in New Zealand. What what is what is skiing in New Zealand? New Zealand. I mean, is it is it common? Like, do you, on schools you go on field trips, on, or is it very depending on, dependent on where you live in New Zealand? Like where it's, you It's it's pretty dependent on where you live. Um, it's not a big sport in New Zealand at all. Like rugby dominates everything in New Zealand. <laughs> Um, in politics um, <laughs> so where I the area where I would grow up you know you have ski trips you know like in high school we got to ski on Thursdays um, and then like you, every like on the schedule yeah that well you had to sign up for that part of the curriculum but like it was pretty common that people wanted to do it and um, yeah but like outside of the, the few mountain areas like Wyman one and there's like two other kind of ones And which aren't that populated so it's not really a big part of New Zealand's culture but but um, the skiers that are there are pretty pretty keen bunch like yeah they, they sort of love like a lot of fun and don't take themselves very seriously uh, what what was it with skiing that got you hooked when you got it like because I think I read somewhere that just like when you were just a couple of weeks old yeah your parents took took you out on the mountains like yeah so. I was like six weeks old and shoved a, you in a backpack in a backpack um, mum mum went skiing the day I was born <laughs> and then they went home and had a party and she obviously wasn't partying but uh, dad was and she had to then drive the three hours to the hospital because uh, dad couldn't drive <laughs> and then six weeks later she was skiing again with me in a backpack so yeah it was just natural to me like it wasn't like any decision was made it was just that's what we do as we go skiing and you never turned your back on it no 
I tried snowboarding once when I was a teenager, oh, like a couple times, but I was, you know, didn't like being shit at it. <laughs> so I was like, nah. I still, I do go snowboarding a little bit, but uh, I've gotten a bit better. But um, I just, yeah, I was already good enough on skis that the concept of being a novice again wasn't appealing. And um, yeah, it was just natural. It was just always been there, and it's always been my sort of number one in my life. Um, did you have like local role models, or was it like Glenn Plake type of figures? I didn't really get. I didn't really get ski movies in New Zealand until like the die was cast already. To be honest, so, um, like growing up, it was like yeah, it was like local role models, um, <laughs> people like kids who went to the same ski field probably wouldn't even know like that young now, but. Uh, Yeah, there was like the local guys that are like older than me and wanted to be like them, and and then conversely wanted to beat them in competitions. So there's always been like a bit of a a hierarchy, and that's good, you know. Like you always having someone to look up for is up to is pretty good, I think, to motivate you and to and to learn from. You know, the kids these days are like stupid good. And I think a bit because of that's because on they, well, they, they like have like, you know, they don't have to like trial and error. They can be like, that's how you do it, and then they learn, you know, they just learn by doing and like watching, and they're just so good and bastards. <laughs> But are you in contact with? I mean, when you go skiing back home in New Zealand, do you ski to like you go to your home mountains? Yeah, are you like I uh, a little bit at home. Uh, like a role model? Do you have to sign autographs and uh, standing <laughs> in the line or? Uh, weirdly, the last year or two, I do. Who's that old I man? I do sign. Yeah, now I'm old. <laughs> I do sign the odd autograph at home, which never used to happen. But um, mainly just kids. But it's so cool in New Zealand because it's so small that you kind of know. You still even know the kids, and you know. And I, I help out in like the New Zealand Junior Tour, and so like see how they're going and give them a few bits of advice but like you know if they're on the right lap you know you just end up skiing with whoever's around so sometimes we end up skiing with like 20 people in a rat pack and it's like from like 40 down to like 12 you know like <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as you're having fun um when you were a teenager like 15 16 if i had asked you what did you want to become when you grew up did you have like a plan back then No, planning's never really been my forte. Um, when I was 15, 16, I was still trying to be a ski racer. Uh, Because you trained in a, you know, like Alpine ski racing yeah, club. Yeah, 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 in the Wanaka Ski Club. Um, I only went as far as like first year fizz racing, and just kind of fell out of love with it. But uh, I just think, like, the racing part of things. I just wanted to be like I, just, I was very competitive at that age, but um, I don't think I wanted to be a racer. But I, I enjoyed what I got out of it in terms of technique. But yeah, I don't think I don't think even at 15 that I thought I'd be a pro skier. Uh, it wasn't really a thing then, though, like in New Zealand either. Uh, at that point, like you did your first, you did one year of, of fist racing. Yeah. Um, where was the free ride world to back then? Like oh, there wasn't one. It didn't exist. Uh, God, so 15 years ago, 2000. Back then, they I think they might have 
they probably had like a free ski the free skiing world tour like the, the American scene was a bit further along um, and there was I think even maybe events in Alaska back then which sounds pretty awesome like Valdez yeah there was like the world skiing yeah. championship I'm not sure how long that went for but yeah but so like there wasn't like this but it was a thing you were aware of it not really no <laughs> uh, as I say pretty isolated in New Zealand so like when I was like 15 I think it was about then I did my first freeride comp just for fun with some racer friends and um, that's and we knew there was the New Zealand Nationals but that was about as far as the thought process went you know yeah but what um, your uh, how you ended up like being a freerider like where did that where did that road start like what what steps did you take to it wasn't like purposeful it was like I quit racing because I was sick of getting screamed at it was too regimented and there wasn't enough from uh, coaches and yeah, from, yeah. Um, I was like young all the guys at my level were sort of older so like uh, I got screamed at a lot because uh, they were trying to get to the Olympics and all I was trying to do was like not stuff up <laughs> but um, so I, I quit that and then I did a couple of freeride events because like, local free ride, like yeah like like just local just even just like around Wanaka um, and it wasn't like I wanted to be a freerider but just like when we weren't racing there was only a couple of pieces at Triple Cone anyway my home mountain so like that's just that was just skiing that wasn't like we're going freeriding it was like that was just what skiing was it was like jumping off stuff and playing around so I did that for like a season or two did you ever feel like you had a talent for it? um Or did other people yeah. tell you that you had a talent for it? No, I think it was like I might have been 17 and like still competing as a junior, but uh, I got third at like the New Zealand Nationals and the Open Men, and and there was like guys that had like one events in Europe and North America that competing. They got one and two, and I was just behind them. And I think I was like, oh, because I was doing slope style, I was doing half pipe, I was just doing everything because it was all new and it was all fun, but. I think it was about then I was like maybe a little bit better at this than I am at spinning like a top so <laughs> yeah but I still didn't take it very seriously for a couple of years it was like too young and dumb <laughs> but it was just the fun for it the, it was just the, fun that's the just fun what of I that, enjoy that doing the most inspired you you don't have a competitive side like oh I'm very very competitive person um, but towards others or compare like do you compete against yourself or that's a very uh, cliche um, well, question but but I mean it's against yourself like free rides against yourself kind of but like you know I get sometimes I get pissed when I'm like ah I could have just done that and won and that then that's kind of from other people so I don't like that bit so much about competing anymore but um, I was I was always competitive like And if that was just whatever it was, like it was triathlons, I didn't want to ever come second. So it was always, yeah, run till you vomit kind of thing, which is why I hate running now. <laughs> <laughs> But you did that as well. You did triathletes. Uh, yeah, yeah mum and dad did triathlons, so I just did them and um, uh, won all of them that I went in. Um, but that was just because I just wanted to win. Um, <laughs> yeah, just like winning. But... Um, That's why competing in freeride is so frustrating because it's so hard to replicate 
when you don't want to compromise, when you don't want to say be a tactic skier and like ski, when you just want to like win every event every time and ski at a hundred percent all the time, it just doesn't work very well. And uh, it's, I guess there's so many uh, so many variables fact, exactly, you can't exactly. control and. Um, yeah, it's, it's immensely frustrating sometimes. I mean, from the the, the the course, I mean, the mountainside, it will change from one hour to, to the mm. next, I guess, the sun, sunrises and so on. And just like visual inspection, you don't really see everything. You only get limited like angles of vision and then like, so sometimes you come into a feature at speed and you're like, what the? What is this? <laughs> and you're just flying into the air like, ah, oh, crap. This wasn't what I thought it was at all. So there's all those little things that still, like, no matter how much experience you get, if you're going to ski 100%, you know, you're going to make some mistakes. Yeah. Unless you like Mr. Perfect, like Rainer. So I don't have that kind of consistency. <laughs> but, um, I mean, if you, if you Google Sam Smoothie, you will see that... that line in uh, Andorra I do land some lines yeah yeah oh. um, is that um, is that your style of writing like not really going big or like oh, I think it's my style in that it's on my on my limits um, it was complex there was um, quick turns that had to be made else you were getting funneled the wrong way there was like I think it had like the full range of I think like ski ability like you had to stomp you had to make critical turns very had to be very precise and um, yeah but I don't think it's necessarily like I had to go fast a lot of the time and that wasn't very fast just because you but because you have a racing background, I mean yeah. that's that's to your benefit. Like yeah. big, big, nice, fast turns. Yeah, and um, it's like harder to process fear when you're going fast because you don't have the time. <laughs> but that 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 line, that winning line in Andorra, that's that must have gone like exactly the way you visioned it because it's, yeah, you didn't like on some parts you literally had like zero margins for errors. Yeah, um, that. That was interesting. Like I, that that wasn't like the standard for me. Like that was something special in that. Like often I pick a line I like to see a zone. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. And I'm like, I look at other options, but I kind of generally come back to that first thing. And I saw that zone and was like, oh, I want to go in there. But it took ages to work out, and I spent way more time than normal, and put way more effort in. Like I climbed these rocks to like get another viewpoint from another like they did all kinds of weird shit there was like a snowstorm in the way like and I think just like my headspace was different as well like I was tired of the the world tour and tactics and almost like a little bitter and I just wanted to like throw a Hail Mary and um, it went really well because, <laughs> which is uh, good because I the mean when you, when, when, you, when you left the uh, when you left the gate you kind of you kind of uh, cruise cruise closer to the to the cliffs where you drop yeah. in, and, but you had no hesitation at all. Like you knew that the second you left the gate, you knew this is the line I will ride. Or yeah, yeah. Otherwise, um, it's not possible. To. No, you yeah. You need to make that decision. Some people are good at like 
changing their minds. I have not really been that good at it. Um, I like to commit about four minutes out, so then I like can run through in my head exactly what I'm doing, each turn, each little marker, have it all visually mapped out in my head, watching it go perfectly. But um, that was one of the few ones that went like exactly as planned. So, but is that um, a feat for you? Like, are you mentally? Would you say that you're mentally strong that way? The same way that you can run until you puke, like being staying mentally strong in the in a race like that. I think it kind of. I, I can be. I think it depends, like, how, like on the face. Uh, I struggle sometimes trying to force myself on smaller less exciting faces for instance I'm a big face kind of like big face or like open fast all that high consequence kind of stuff but um when when the motivation's there when like I'm excited about the face and I'm like I think I have uh, a mental strength and, and like once I decide that I can do it just like backing myself to go 100% and, and doing it and like holding to that like despite all the delays and all the waiting around and stuff just like I think I've worked on the years on my mental Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby. It's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Skills, I think they, they play pretty well. Um, going back to um, when you got into the like the international free ride scene, like this thing with getting sponsored, um, what came first? Did you get like local sponsorships in New Zealand before you went international, or did you save up money to go and make a name for yourself, or how does it work? Um, I lucked into like sponsors. Uh, They have changed, but like from about 16. Um, but in New Zealand, it's such a small industry that it's like, you know, gear. Yeah. And um, by the time it came, I came to be like 19, 20 and traveling. Um, I mean, at the time I had like one of the better deals. I was head to toe uh, and I got like maybe 3,000 New Zealand dollars was my budget, which is about... 15 euros um, it's about 1500 euros but um, 
yeah, I would then like work jobs. Like I worked so many different jobs. I would save up all my money. I would go to Europe. I would spend it all. I would rack up credit card debt, and then I'd go back to New Zealand and I'd work all the time and uh, pay it off. And uh, every year it got like worse and worse. <laughs> so that like I'd be paying off my debt and then leaving for Europe in a month. You know, and then like I'd be coming back and I'd like owe like twenty thousand dollars, <laughs> which is like was my annual income at the time, and I was just it was like it got to the point I was like from not making it anytime soon I'm quitting because it was like it was a drain. <laughs> I'd been throwing money at it for ages. So, but then you were on the uh, by the that Red point I got to the world tour, yeah, yeah. and um, like my first major sponsor, Vocal, picked me up couple of years before that and they've supported me through all that and and they were they were good but uh but they still are really good but you like that of course you can't say no <laughs> but <laughs> did you did you like that part of the uh, part of your life like working with sponsors i guess now it's you don't have to chase that much you kind of you have your setup but yeah. do you like that part like working with sponsors I and mean, everything from like social media stuff to events such as this one today and it's not a what do, what do you get from that i think it's it's cool because you get to like meet a whole range of people um it builds i think it builds skills in you in terms of um how to deal with people how to work with people uh all these things being super useful After, you know, during and even almost more so after you're done being an athlete. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I think with my sponsors, I'm really lucky. They're sponsors I really believe in. Uh, the gear, the companies, and uh, that makes it so much easier to um, yeah be happy with what you got and to like truly believe what you're saying about the product and about the companies. Uh, like this morning, we had a we had this like one hour workout with um, the, the new North Face store here in Stockholm. And uh, on the warm up, I think I overheard you talking and you said to someone that you haven't experienced like an autumn in like 10 years or something. Yeah, yeah, I haven't had autumn in, or a summer and uh, I was 17. Because I met not 12 years. Is is is, <laughs> is that a thing? Because I, I remember I talked to uh, another guy from New Zealand some yeah. some years ago, and he he was like chasing this never-ending winter, like mm. going from the southern hemisphere up to the northern hemisphere. Yeah. and that has been your lifestyle. Well, that yeah, is your that's lifestyle. That's been my life for over 10 years. Um, yeah, it's like Europe, December through to like June. New Zealand like July to December so it's always getting warmer which is good you know you never get the days getting shorter the days are always getting warmer um, it's always winter or spring never fall or summer um, do you miss that at all I miss summer a lot but I mean now I'm in a point right I'm a bit luckier I get to go on like a surf trip or two and have like a quick one month summer here and there yeah. Because um, you do miss it. People are always like, oh, Lake Wanaka must be so nice in summer. I'm like, yeah, I bet it is. <laughs> I don't remember. 12 years ago. <laughs> yeah, when I was a child. <laughs> um, but this part, because now the last couple of years, I guess you have been traveling quite a lot, like um, exploring new places and all. 
Um, are there big differences? Do you see that there are big differences between like ski communities and ski culture and the I don't know the kind of social energy if you compare Europe to the US to New Zealand? Oh yeah, huge differences. Huge differences. Like I love like the European style. How like there's like minimal avalanche control. You, you're allowed to go and make your own like decisions for better or worse, you know, um, uh, but then like the Europeans can be like a bit more serious and then like Americans are a bit more like, we're talking stereotypes here of course, but like a lot of like my American friends are like much more relaxed and like ski party kind of lifestyle, like all really love like the whole thing and uh, I think <laughs> Kiwis are just like way too excited about mildly average conditions. <laughs> you know, there's all there's heaps of differences. You know, like um, and that's why I think it's amazing about it. Like you go to Japan and like they have such reverence for like powder skiing and in the trees and it's it's very zen-like. And then like you know, you go to Chamonix and it's like you're the odd guy out if you don't have an ice axe and crampons and enough rope to strangle a paddock of horses and <laughs> all kinds of like and that's what's so cool about it. you go to places and the style's different the culture's different and what do you pick up like um have you changed a lot like over the 10 over the last 10 years or something have you uh become more of a <coughs> european do you, have you yeah like i hate i hate going to america <laughs> and like <laughs> no i mean i love i love america but i hate going there and they're like you can't ski that's closed i'm like why <laughs> pretty sure I can ski it um, you know so like, I, I think I've definitely like leaned towards like the European side but um, I like to think like I still go home to New Zealand and it's like 10 centimeter powder day and I get excited with the boys maybe not as excited as they are but like I mean I've been so spoiled the amazing places I've skied but I still think some of me stayed the same that I love being at home and skiing crap snow and having fun with it. You know? But is that is that um is that a negative side to your lifestyle, like becoming jaded, sort of like if it's not like waist deep powder, it's. But can you still appreciate like a like like an, an average day out or like crappy weather and like white out? And I think you can you can get jaded, like you get so tired and run down and hurt more just sick, sick of being hurt or others getting hurt and all that emotional trope stro like stress but like I think I'm lucky then coming from New Zealand like everyone's like just like bro you're being a dick <laughs> it's an awesome, they take you down it's like a in sunny a sunny day who cares if the snow's icy you know let's have fun mm. and that's cool like you know no one treats me different at home because I'm like a professional skier I'm just one of the one of the lads that goes skiing and And like that's cool. So I think like it keeps you pretty level. Like I think it's still weird to me. It's still weird to me that I'm like a professional athlete. Like saying those words makes me want to cringe. Like it doesn't sound <laughs> like you know me. Um, you mentioned the uh, kind of the dark side of this world, like with the casualties and the dangerous side. Does that get to you? Like uh, because I'm sure you have. Probably, unfortunately, like many friends, like co people close to you, that's not here today because of. Yeah. What does that do to you? Makes you just want to like stay inside and not do anything remotely dangerous. 
pretty tough, like, and, like, the longer you're out there, like, the more they kind of mount up, and it's not like they get better, it's like, it's, it's, I feel like they get worse, and they, they, they feel like they're more frequent, even though they might not be, but it just kind of builds on you, this weight, and, um, become, like, it's hard to not become, like, fearful and... Uh, I'm scared, but um, how do you handle it? Because you still have to uh, I tell you, not have. I mean, you you still go on on these trips and these expeditions. It, it so. comes back, you know. You, the desire comes back. It's who you are. It's part of who I am. Um, and as hard as that is, you know, you've made you know you've made your choice. Um, <coughs> so you just, I think you just got to give yourself time and process the grief and and um yeah ask those questions is this what I want to do and if the answer is yes then you've just got to make sure you're making the right decisions and those around you are and do everything you can to make sure you come home safe and thinking yeah, back thinking try and educate yourself and people yeah I think thinking back have you done a lot of like stupid decisions uh, I have no idea how I survived the first few years in Europe I don't know what an avalanche was coming from New Zealand. Like we have like all our mountains are controlled, and like I believe since then there's been such a a large scale shift to like being smarter, doing your courses, having the gear, even just like I mean there's still people out there making dumb decisions. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty thankful that the friends that like show me Europe and and the ways how, how it rolls um, kept me out of trouble to a large extent um, and uh, I'm here at this point Is that a knowledge uh, that you want to transfer to like for instance kids in Lake Wanaka Yeah And do you do that? Yeah for sure um, Like I've been part of like the, the junior tour there and you know we start with like safe decision making in terms of like just how you're skiing like wearing a helmet not doing things that are like outside your your ability and just like taking your steps just evaluating safety and like trying to have that as being normal you know that you're like you're not just some wild child throwing yourself off rocks and then you know just having it that like there's me I've got my stuff I'm like talking to the patrollers and just like trying to normalize the whole regular way and like when they come out to Europe taking the ones that I'm with aside and, and just being like explaining the situation and and it's kind of weird because <laughs> you say some like you know you have to say some kind of weird things like I don't want to have to call your parents <laughs> but it's like in a serious concept because you're talking about calling them and telling them they don't have a son anymore and uh, it's kind of scary and it feels like a responsibility but I think it's important to be like to impart that this is serious even though it's a lot of fun this is serious and they need to even though they might only be 16 they need to treat it as their responsibility to go out learn the stuff ask the questions do the work and, and become a safe rider and not just some hooligan um, going back to um, traveling Uh, you have been skiing in North Korea. Yeah, yeah. And it's a movie that's like released this week. 
I yeah, think. Uh, it's releasing tomorrow. Yeah. Called it the North Korean Chronicle, <laughs> and uh, that was definitely one of the weirdest trips of my life. But such a privilege, I guess you'd say, to witness a, such a new country to skiing, and despite all the you know obvious social issues and political issues surrounding such a place. You don't have an uh, ambitions to become like the Dennis Rodman of the free ride world tour. I have thought I should get my nose pierced. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he went to, and he went yeah, to North Korea went, and yeah. hung out with Kim Jong Un. Yeah, I don't know about. I don't know. <laughs> like, it might sound like calling the kettle pot, calling the kettle black, but like, I don't know. There's there's a lot I disagree with about North Korea. Um, but still, there's huge. And there was definite doubts as to whether we should go there even. But or how did we, I mean? Did they invite you? No, no. So we weren't like we paid a tour company to take us in there. They knew we were going to be filming, but it's not like we were their guests. We just went on a private guided tour, very guided tour. They only show you what they want you to see, and you don't get to see anything else. But um, it was a hell of an experience, and uh, it definitely like definitely just made me like doubt a lot of like you know you have you have these preconceptions that you don't even notice you have perhaps, and I think it just made me try and be a bit more open, and um, it was a really good like learning process because like you have you have no idea until you go, and, and we didn't see anything of the country really in terms of what the real issue is there and what's going on but um yeah uh, i think i would regretted not going because it, it was a lot of fun and uh it, it definitely like challenged my views but wasn't it like super difficult like filming like they had to check your no, cameras had, and everything <laughs> yeah. and well we, we had like two minders with us at all times and were they good skiers no but they, they were <laughs> only one of them skied but like She was like doing pretty good for like her second day ever, I think it was, um, and was like really keen and enjoyed it. And, and it was just cool seeing people like a whole new culture embracing skiing and just having fun. You know, you have this idea of like North Koreans, and there they are, just like normal people having skiing, fun, yeah. falling over, being idiots on snow. You know, like that's cool. Like it humanizes them. But uh, traveling as a skier is that a That's a nice way of traveling, and because you get these meetings that you wouldn't get. Yeah, and you have like a common ground to talk on, and you know, like it's just yeah. I think it's I think apart from carrying around like 60 kgs worth of gear, it's awesome. Like a great way to see the world and to meet people that share a similar passion. <laughs> and, yeah. Um. There's I talked to um, I think it was Kai Sakrison, and. Uh, He had this theory that people in the U.S. Uh, tend to, like, skiers in the U.S. They see their goal is to get famous through films, yeah. and writers in in Europe they, you know, they they race to become famous. Like, uh, they they want to enter the like free ride world to get famous. Yeah. Um, and now you're kind of bridging that because you 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 start to enter the film world as well. Um, but is is that? Do you think that's true? Like. Um, In the U.S., writers are more focused on like their goal is to end up in film, big productions. Yeah, I don't know if that's even 
down to the riders themselves. There might be. Um, oh yeah, the sponsors just sort of the might have the, a... the market mm. and the sponsors are aligned and arranged um, would have a large influence on that. I mean, like I'm a competitive person. I love competing, but like someone says you want to just go fire on a helicopter and ski a whole bunch of, bunch of powder. Yeah, I'd say no to that, eh? You don't even have to, like, compete, you know, like... So, yeah, I think it's interesting, and I think it is kind of, like, lined up that way. Uh, because now you've been working with TGR as well. Yeah, yeah, I've had one season working with Teton Gravity Research, and, yeah, it was pretty mind-opening what skiing with that crew like that might be like, you know. What was it like? Well, what, oh. what was it like to come into... They were like, I never felt like the new guy at all. I've, I've known a number of them for quite a while, but never really that close. But uh, yeah, they just were super welcoming. The most like professional crew I've worked with in terms of like everyone knows exactly what they're doing and how to do it. But then like just super fun as well. Like lots of good banter, lots of laughs, lots of silliness. Like it just it fit me perfectly. Like. I was really impressed, and then they have a really good snow safety attitude as well. Like, spend the money and the time to like make sure they're like on point, and because uh, that just comes down to getting the shots as well in the end. So, yeah, I was really excited about that. What can you uh, tell me about the movie and about your sequence um, or sequences? Yeah, the movie is uh, Teton Gravity's 21st birthday, so it's kind of like a celebration. There's a bit of old footage chucked in there. There's some pretty funny, uh, like, old hotel scenes of them being bad boys. Um, and it's just, I just think it's it's a very real representation of, like, the fun of skiing. Like, it doesn't take itself very seriously. There's some super gnarly high-end action, but it's not, like, overly dramatic Travis Rice kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, my section I'm really happy with. I did a 10-day trip in the near Colas. They call like in Alaska. They call Fantasy Camp, where we like we like pimp camping, which was <laughs> sick. And we had two helicopters, and there was like Sage Catabriga, Angel Collins, and Nick McNutt, who are all like awesome human beings and super rad skiers. And we just had like the most fun you can have on earth. And I think that comes across in the film. And we got to. Yeah, just got to ski some gnarly mountains, hang out in a camp, goof around. Yeah, it was like the time of my life. Um, so what's in store for this this part of your winter year? Like, do, do you uh, are you participating in the are you racing in the uh, world tour again? I've pulled out of the world tour for 2017. My shoulder's not going to be fixed in time. Oh yeah, you pulled a, so, you messed yeah, up a muscle. I've I fully ruptured my pec major, so I tore it off the tendon. So I had that um, kind of screwed back on and stitched on two months ago, so it's a long recovery, it's like six months, so hoping to be okay to film by like mid-February, but I just thought I'd take the chance to, yeah, just film ski for my first ever season and uh, see if that's going to make me happy and Uh, see if I can, uh, yeah, do without competing, and perhaps um, put a a month or two of summer in there, something. Yeah, I think because it's going to be like, <laughs> my show's going to take some time. I'm going to get like a bit of summer in January for the first time, and yeah, 12 years. So, and then I'm going to have have a pretty long winter, I think. 
bike push into June, try and organise some ski mountaineering trips for June, and then like have a have a bigger than normal New Zealand winter. And yeah, it'll be good. Um, but thank you so much for taking your time. Hey, no worries. Best of luck with the recovery. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> can find Husky on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at the handle Husky Podcast. Husky is made in cooperation with Lund Hogs and it is produced by Husky Productions. The music is made by Joel Mull. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.